0: And welcome to Reliving My Youth. My name is Noel Fogelman. My guest this week is Greg Keane. Now, Greg is one half of the Scottish brotherly duo, You and Cry. Now, over the years, I've had a few Scottish acts on the show, whether it's Love and Money, The Big Dish, Danny Wilson. Some have made a little bit of noise in the States. Others, like You and Cry, have failed to make a dent, which is unfortunate because their music is great. Greg explains the reason why. Their biggest hit was 1987's Labor of Love. It was also featured on the soundtrack for the video game Grand Theft Auto, episodes from Liberty City. So if you are running somebody over in a Ferrari or beating the crap out of them with a baseball bat, you have probably heard the song. One thing with You and Cry was their ability to make records featuring different genres, whether it was blue-eyed soul, sophisti-pop, jazz, folk, or even Latin themes. All their records have sounded different. That's what makes them really, really talented. The duo took a break following their album 1999, but reunited thanks to the British TV show Hit Me Baby One More Time. There was a version in the States afterwards because we steal everything. That's great from Britain. In 2006, they reunited thanks to the show, and they've released six albums with a seventh currently in production since the show. Greg talks about his time during the pandemic and the lockdown and how he tried to keep motivated. Super nice guy, and I hope you enjoy my conversation with him. So Greg, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it.
1: You're welcome. No, uh whereabouts are you in America?
0: I am currently in New York right now.
1: Yeah. I spent a lot of time in New York in the late 80s. Um it was I was guess it was Mayor Giuliani.
0: He's... Oh yeah. Yeah, he was uh, he was uh... a <laughs> He was a good mayor, but uh he's kind of gone off the rails lately. So
1: <laughs> the thing is, I, I all I remember is him being a good mayor in New York when I was there. And um, I stayed up in um, West Central Park up by Columbus Circus. And um uh yeah, and then after that, I completely forgot. And then when he appeared doing the, the kind of Trump lawyer thing, I thought, that wasn't the guy I remember from the 80s in New York. The guy was like, oh, had his stuff together and he was really good and he was a good communicator and all
0: that. What happened? I know exactly. You know, he was like, you know, dealt with nine eleven. He was kinda of out in front. Yeah. And then I have no idea what happened. It's it, it's a shame, but you know, it's another story for another time. Yes. Um yeah. But you, you mentioned I was just gonna talk to you about like a new record, but you mentioned New York. Um I'm in the US and I'm a fan of you guys. Um Did you guys ever try to kind of make it into the U.S. market? Because I've had a lot of like Scottish bands who have money I had on the show, and I had like Denny Wilson, and they broke through a little bit, but like The Big Dish never did, and I was fans of them as well, and I had Stephen Lindsay on. Did you guys really try to make it into the U.S. market?
1: We had, um, so we were with a small record company in the U.K. called Sucker Records and um, they licensed through Virgin in America. Now we were quite close to Richard Branson and because his wife, Helen, was a midwife in Scotland and she literally, her district was two miles from where Pat and I were brought up. So she knew her mother. So every time we met Richard Branson and his wife was with him, she'd always ask for my mom. And so we had a good connection with uh, Richard Branson. And then when we were in America, they launched Virgin America, um, the record label, with the Cutting Crew, I just died in your arms tonight. Okay, and that was the first big hit. So we were all there when it was all happening. We were making our albums in New York. Everything was set up for a big American launch, and then they had budget restraints, and they had to choose between Ziggy Marley and Hugh and Cry, and they chose Bob Marley's son. Yeah. And I remember I met Ziggy. He was a nice guy, right? But he was, you know, it was his father that was the thing. It wasn't him,
0: of course. So, yeah.
1: You know, it was fine, but I was my argument with the record company was, you know, this guy's not doing anything new, he's hanging on the coattails of his dad. He's a really nice guy, the band's great. So but and Cry's two young guys have got a story to tell, in New York, but they didn't go for it. Yeah. So um we we did some showcase gigs, uh, East Coast, West Coast, um, and that was really it. So it was very disappointing. I must admit, our record company well, as I say, we're a small record company, one of many labels that were distributed through Virgin. So I don't know how much sway they, they had. But ironically, after the success of Hugh and Cry, that money then spawned the success of Massive Attack and Nina Cherry. They came after us. Yeah. Then because of that success, the two guys then became the, the head of Virgin because Richard Branson sold everything to buy his airplanes. and. Mm-hmm. You know, they got bigger and bigger. And then these two guys that looked after us in a small record company signed a band called the Spice Girls.
0: Okay.
1: Yeah. That kind of worked for them.
0: I think so, so yeah. <laughs> it, it
1: we're just about two years too soon before they had a bit more clout. But if it hadn't been for Hugh and Crying, if it hadn't been the success of Labour Love that brought in a lot of money, you know, they signed Massive Attack on the back of that. They, you know, they did success with Nina Cherry. You know, it's just over two years... Uh, too early the music business is all about getting the right song at the right time so um we were lucky we were the right song at the right time in the uk but in america you know we're just a bit too early
0: right you know know, it's like you do have fans here so i'll I'll definitely definitely tell you that um i discovered you it's ironically discovered you guys through a import i think album on virgin megastore had one at labor 11 one of the 80s compilations. And that's how I discovered you guys, because I bought it for another song and happened to absolutely fall in love with Labor of Love. So, I mean, it's it it trickled here. It just, you know, it would have been because you guys would have been huge here.
2: You took a car about seven years ago. Now you said that you were not so tough. And I loved it, ooh. you've been me down and I got laid. I know that you said it never. was, it's gonna be easy, but not this hard. You're so cold, so cold. The romance goes under. the promise is break my mistake, wise. 'Cause now I've got a little too much. I'm gonna drop. My labor. You no know more. I can't stand it. I said I just don't want it. Never gonna need it. No way. Yeah. I can't stand it. I said I just don't want it. Never gonna need it.
1: Um, we had we had a few opportunities that came our way, um, um, but, you know, just things transpire. Pat and I, um, in the late 80s, um, we had a five-year window, and to be honest, my brother was quite frustrated with the music industry because he had a lot more to say with his lyrics and stuff that he wanted to comment on, cultural stuff that he wanted to comment on. And the music business wasn't the right vehicle for him. He wanted to get into journalism and to writing and stuff like that. So he got quite frustrated very early on with the music business because, you know, people think that it's all glamour and having fun and rock and roll, but it's not really. It's a lot of hard work and it's right. a lot of networking. And it's a lot of hanging out with people you don't really want to hang out with, but you have to. And I think Pat just had had enough of that uh, with five years doing it. And we laid the foundations for a very successful 35 year career now. So you know, we've been professional musicians our whole lives. Um, we there's been ups and downs, but we're still here making music.
0: Yeah, and you mentioned you know making music, and it's been, I guess, over five years now since your your last album, which I really loved. Um, yeah, you know, pocket full of stones. Um, is there any update of you guys? You know, coming out with a new album.
1: Well, oh my goodness, <laughs> we started writing. I've got the first song here, which is a song called Promised Land, and it was uh, April the 21st, 2018. And then we wrote, the last song we wrote was March 23rd, 2019. So we'd written 20 songs through 18, 19, and then the pandemic hit. And then we thought, right, okay, Pat's in London, I'm up here in Glasgow, I'll just beaver away at these songs and make them into something. But I had a terrible pandemic, no, it was... (sighs) I had no uh inspiration. I had oh, very God. little enthusiasm for music. Even what I would usually do if I'm if I'm losing my kind of mojo when it comes to music, I'll listen to Stevie Wonder or I'll listen to Al Green or I'll listen to Miles Davis or listen to John Coltrane. They all sounded rubbish to me. And I went, oh no, this is the worst. Right. They're sounding bad. So I had to back away. And then I backed away and I backed away to the point where I wasn't listening to music at all. I was Looking after my kid because we had to home, had to homeschool. I've got right. she's eight then, um, I had to homeschool because her mother's a lecturer, so she was having to move all her work online, mm-hmm. and then I was having to deal with the kids. And then there's lots of parents putting pressure on me saying, "Can you help out?" So I ended up um, homeschooling about three or four kids wow. most weeks. So that's when my kind of attention went. And meanwhile, my my manager Doogie and um, my and Pat, my singers shouting at me, "Going where's this album? Where's this album?" And it was terrible. I just couldn't go anywhere near it. The songs are great. But every time I try to do something with my job with Hue and Cry is Pat and I write together from a blank sheet of paper, empty room, piano, you know, blank sheet of paper, let's go, and don't leave the room until you have a song. That's the way we do it. And we'd done that 20 times very successfully. And we had 20 songs sitting. And my job then is to give them an identity and take them to a place that, you know, it's Hue and Cry. I couldn't do it, no, I had no inspiration, and I was so frustrated, Pat was so frustrated, I had to stop, because it was killing me, and eventually Pat got so angry with me, (laughs) about a year ago, he says, right, I'm coming up, this is enough, so I said, well, I can't hear these songs, so you need to come up, so he came up here to our studio, and... He's been up five times now and he just sits with his arms folded in the, the, the couch in the control room. I've got a big bank of synthesizers and stuff. And he goes, right, impress me. I'm like, geez. So I had to audition from my brother for a week, playing all these synths to try and make the songs into something. And we succeeded. I couldn't believe, I thought my mojo had gone and I didn't know what to do. The thing is the gigs were getting better. So as this was happening to me, the gigs we were doing were getting busier the crowd was getting rowdier we were playing and, and performing great and we had a great interaction so every time i went away to do gigs i was coming back sort of up so i thought right i'll go back to making this music yeah couldn't do it it was i mean my manager was saying to me is it writer's block i says no it's not writer's block it's just i can't take the songs and form them into something that is a record that i can hear on the radio or i can hear in front of thousands of people in a venue or or tens of thousands of people at a festival these are the sort of gigs we do i couldn't place them there i just couldn't do it until pat came up and lo and behold the, the, your big brother sitting in the same room as you kicking your butt figuratively and it worked for me
0: yeah you just needed some tough love i guess <laughs>
1: I think I did, I didn't, uh, I mean, the, the funny thing was, at the beginning of that process, I would work on a song for three or four days, and I'd think, right, well, okay, that's because Pat, it's all electro, this stuff, Pat wanted to do a synth record, so I said, right, so I made it all electro, and I would send him the MP3, and then there'd be, one day would go by without a response, and then another day would go by without a response, you think, oh, no, and then I would contact him, and then eventually he went back to me, and said, no, Greg, that's not right, I'm like, oh, God. God, and those two days where he didn't respond were the worst two days of my life. Right, and that, <laughs> that that kept happening until the point where, you know, Pat and I have got a very close relationship, so we we don't get angry or frustrated at each other. But I think he did it at me, and that's when he said, "Right, I'm coming up. This is enough. You need to do this." So uh, yes, some brutal times during COVID for yeah. me, for my sort of uh, self esteem and confidence and all that. It was it was really hard, hard for me. But as I said, the gigs. Got, it was the weird juxtaposition where the gigs got better and better and my ability as a producer got worse and worse. Right. And I don't know why.
0: Right? Were you able... Well, we're, like, in
1: good, we're, we're in a good place right now. Oh, okay. good. So,
0: yeah. Yes. Were, yes, you, yes. Yeah. were you able to kind of separate the like production part from the performing part? Were you still able to perform at a level they used to do?
1: Yeah, that was the scary thing for me. I mean, I don't get stage fright. I get excited about a gig. I never get nervous. Um, but that was the thing that I was scared that would happen that um, failing in the studio was going to, um, you know, happen to me on stage. But you no, know, that hour and a half, hour and 45 minutes that Pat and I perform is that's our therapy. That's that you don't have to worry about anything else. You don't have to worry about anything. You just sit, look at your brother. First chord is in G minor and then off you go. And in an hour and a half, hour and 45 minutes later, there's people standing applauding. You've sweated a bit. You've, Emoted a bit, you've told some great stories to the audience, everybody's had a great time, and then you pack up your gear, you go back to your tail, and you kind of think about what you've done, and that's all positive. The whole gigs were nothing but positivity. If I hadn't had them, I don't know, I didn't have them for 18 months, we didn't gig for 18 months, right? I realized that you'll probably hear a lot of musicians saying this that they never realized how much it meant to them until you take it away, right? And I was thinking maybe, maybe it's the applause that's the drug, maybe that's it's the applause that's kept. Me going for the last 35 40 years um i think that proved it if you don't get that if you don't get that feeling of people going what you've just done is fantastic and i will reward you with applause we take that away from a musician well me anyway it was it was a lifeline taken away so i'm glad i've got it back
0: right yeah i mean there's never a good time for a pandemic but now with technology you know we can communicate you can do like virtual concerts you know uh, You could work on a record, you know, virtually send files and stuff like that. Even if this was like 10, 15 years ago, we didn't have this technology where we were able to do this.
1: No, we did. uh, I think we did four online gigs uh, for a paid audience. There was lots of bands doing their kind of free YouTube things and free this and free that. And our manager and Pat and I decided we weren't going to do this. So we watched the space to see what was going on. There was a few platforms that you could do a virtual gig and you could pay, get people to pay pay for a ticket but the thing is if it fails so people are watching this gig and it freezes or it starts to buffer or it starts to do all that then they're not going to come back and they're going to ask for their money back so we got the infrastructure here all sorted had engineers running fiber cables from the junction box out in the street right into the studio here with all the cameras sorted we bought a switcher uh, a black magic switcher and um we set up a green screen we we did so much pre-production to make it work and then you just got to cross your fingers that it's not going to freeze and you put restrictions on the broad on the bandwidth that it's going to push out so you're not pushing out full HD you're pushing out 720p all these sort of things you've got to consider and in the first gig we did there was no dropouts there was nearly 800, 900 people paying 10 pounds and it went fabulously well. And also you're trying to get people to say, where am I going to watch it? On my phone? Can I stream it from my phone to my TV? All this sort of stuff. I mean, it was it was pretty full on, but we, we were successful. The last one we did, which was for St. Patrick's Day, it's called, um, is it called the Irish song? But No, Hope and History. That was what we called the, the Irish thing and we did it on St. Patrick's Day and it's fabulous. That's when we, we got everything right. Pat and I were in a good place, and we played our favourite songs by Van Morrison, U2, the script. Um, oh, yeah, we had a great night that night, and there was loads of people, and they'd, we got such good feedback. and Yeah, that was an experience. I've still got all the equipment sitting here, so it's all set up. If we need to do it again, no.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's cool. Now, you mentioned, like, you know, those artists, and you've covered, you know, Prince Island and Times before. Like and your music is so broad like you have so many different genres of types so like who if you had to pick one your biggest inspiration in music
1: uh i mean i was a saxophone player i'm a piano player since i was nine years old but i played saxophone since i was 12 when i went to high school and they gave us gave me a saxophone to learn so uh I spent hours learning Charlie Parker and John Coltrane and all these sort of things because uh, I really enjoyed being a saxophone player. Uh, and at the time, in the mid-'80s, when I was about 16, saxophone was everywhere, there was the Beat were using the saxophone, UB-40 were using saxophone, right. there was lots of big sax solos, um, you know, obviously, George Michael's Careless Whisper." there was Hazel Corners. I'm just thinking about all the ones I used to play. Rat Race was uh, by the uh, Boomtown Rats. You know, there was lots of saxophone there. So I concentrated on saxophone quite a lot. So I was coming from a jazz uh, perspective. And Pat was coming from, well, I've learned recently from doing this electronic record, he had a love of sort of early 80s electronica, um, mm. early Simple Minds and some David Bowie. And he just kept quoting a band called Can, kept quoting to me. And um, so I didn't realize when we were growing up. But yes, yeah, in early Heaven 17, that's where Pat was coming from. So he was coming from a more sort of electro-soul thing, post-punk, but I was kind of immersed in jazz. So that's where our influences came from.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's it's good to have, like, I guess, a wide range of influences because you combine and kind of make, like, a nice, you know, steel of, you know, music. And, like, that's what you guys have done over 35 years. Like, no record has sounded the same.
1: <laughs> no, but people used to get frustrated that is uh, because they couldn't pigeonhole us. Yeah. And that was, we thought was a plus, but guess what? No, it's not, not a plus. No. <laughs> they, can, they, can't rap, they can't stick you in a genre. Right. Um, when we, I mean, yeah, so it was quite difficult for us. But the thing that's, that's held throughout the 35, 40 years we've been doing it is every song we can do, every song we play, we can play it on our own as a duo, as a piano and voice. So when we sit down and play like that, it doesn't matter what kind of genre we were pushing at the time of making that song, it, it can be performed just the two of us. And that just becomes a kind of intimate piano and voice, um, heartfelt uh, performance is what we do. And um when you come and see us, you know, Pat puts an awful lot of work into the lyrics and he, he's, he's a great rack on tour now. So he'll set a song up by explaining what the lyric is, and you watch the audience and they're following every word. So I'm really glad that we put the effort in throughout the years to make these songs as robust and as strong as we possibly could because playing them now um, they still work. I mean, we open a set with a song that was written in 1984, mm-hmm. a song called I Refuse, which yeah. is all about denying stereotypes and making men think before they start any kind of misogyny or any kind of Disrespect towards women and that song was written, you know, as I said, nineteen eighty four. It's nearly forty years old and it's still it's still relevant and it still works. So
2: i
0: I mean, it, it's a great song, but isn't it kind of like sad how it's still relevant these days, that song, where a lot of things haven't changed in almost 40 years?
1: I know, that's the way Pat sets it up. But um, I know we, we we talk about it quite a lot when we play live and we thought these songs, you think the song that you write is going to affect a change. I mean, as you said, Labour Love, which is the big hit in the summer of 87 you know that was that was a song trying to understand why working class people would vote against their best wishes. So I mean, the, the, the politics in Britain are pretty much like in America. There's left and there's right, and the working class you would presume would vote for the left because they would help them out. But you know, in Britain, they vote for the they vote for the right. They vote for the Conservatives, and you think these people are not got your not got your um your your, your best at heart. They don't really understand working class people because they're not working class people. So yeah. the song was about the frustrations of these people. You know, it's like turkeys voting for Christmas. It's, what are you doing? Right. But, you know, we thought the song would have an effect. Did it have an effect? Yes, it did connect. And people would come up to you at gigs and after gigs and say, thank you for singing that song. and Thank you for making that comment. So, yeah, it didn't change anything, but it had an effect.
0: Uh, <laughs> absolutely. Now, I just want to go to, uh, I love this album, and I unfortunately probably cause you guys to... Get dropped at record labels. Stars crash down, and uh you had mm-hmm. the great Edie Reader backups, you know, on, on that album. Yes. And I absolutely loved her. Mm-hmm. I had a uh, Boo Hoardine on like two years ago, and we discussed her in length. Oh, he's so. a very talented,
1: very talented man. He's a very talented man, Boo
0: Yeah, a- absolutely. So, how did you get uh, Edie on the album?
1: Um, she had. Obviously, that hit she had with and Attraction*, um, *Perfect*. I think Pat met her somewhere and said we were doing a record, and there was a song called *Remembrance in Gold*, which was um, the song about uh, the wed- the the funeral of the, the one of the gay couples that died, and the funeral, and about uh, the family reconciling and consoling itself, and he wanted. I think the narrative from the song was from the younger sister, so he wanted a female entity in the song. That
2: car driving through the dre Look out the window I see the world washing away. Mom smiles for her own survival. A 5 a cigarette blows and flakes into the air Martin's love overtakes us His face is painless He's done more than we'll ever know So they go And the coil that they throw uh, will are to unroll And what's up over and fingers and I hear secret conversations family perversions I'm getting about there when David stands alone and pretty his foot against the wall and his face a quiet storm so they go Then they have to do what they have to do, David's client and my father takes him in his arms, so they go and the coil.
1: So I think he, he sent some of the lyrics over to Eddie and she loved it and then there was a song called Make Him Strange which is an odd Latin thing. Now I'd heard Eddie sing jazz, she's a great jazz singer um, and there's a lot of Latin, she understands all the grooves so we asked her to sing those two songs. But <laughs> Funny story but that was that was at the heyday of Hue and Cry so um, I remember going to pick her up at the airport and I think I had a fancy Porsche I did have a fancy <laughs> And I went, I picked her up and I was standing at the arrivals hall and the, the plane had come in and I knew she was on this plane. This is all pre-mobile phone. right? And uh, the hall had emptied and I was standing there looking, going, where is she? And I saw this girl and she was standing next to this and I kind of walked towards her and I looked at her and I said, are you Eddie Ruder? I said, are you Greg Kane? So the two of us didn't even recognize each other and right. I thought, right, okay, this is a good start. So I picked up her bag and I said, come on then. So we got to the car and she looked at her and said, I'm not getting in that. <laughs> <laughs> I said, the studio's in the middle of the country, so I'm not getting in that. I said, Eddie, I don't drive fast. And she said, well, why did you buy a fast car? I said, well, I just like the design of it. She said, don't be right. Okay, do not drive fast. I, I not drive fast. <laughs> So I didn't drive fast, we got to the studio and she was amazing. And then she toured with us. Uh, we were touring the Tar- stars crash down album and uh, she came with us and supported us. And she came on and did Remembrance and Gold and Making Strange, which was fantastic. And we did Name of the Game as well, the Abba song she sang with us as well. Uh, yes, she's a fabulous performer. She's as um, if you don't mind me, she's batshit crazy, you know that she's she's proper out there. Right, uh, but uh, her t- her talent is um, undeniable. I must admit.
0: Yeah, that, that that's what uh, that's what Boo said. Uh, I, I think he was diplomatically said she's you know unpredictable. <laughs> I think that's what he said. <laughs> yes,
1: yes, but I mean, if you've got a talent as 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 strong as that, then there's a price to pay for that. So, yeah, you've got to be on your toes when you're with Eddie she doesn't suffer fools and she can fly off um, at any point but that um, session where she did that she was absolutely fabulous and then as I say I picked up in the morning she sang for two or three hours and I took her back to the airport and uh-huh. that was it and then we together so I've worked with her a few times after that for from for different things I did a bun supper with her and I and a cello player um, the Rolls Royce bun supper it was a very kind of years ago 15 years ago maybe and then um, uh, she sings a lot with the Scottish National Jazz Orchestra um so she's still kind of she's revitalized her jazz chops um but no she's still singing great still performing here like us so yeah thumbs up for Eddie
0: right uh, that's great and for anyone who doesn't you know know her music check it out I mean she she's absolutely fantastic yeah now, um, like the Next Move um, album, which is great, that we t- talked about the Prince cover at A of Time.
2: a girlfriend came, I got a needle and soon she was doing the same. At home, they're seven-year-old boys and their idea of fun. Being in a game called on "The Southpaw" high on crack and them up. She Everybody inside Turn the TV Every single store Somebody died This is the killer baby God's gonna fall The fetus and her rock To the moon yeah. Last summer, of The right river For the very first time Now he's doing a ship explode, yeah But I still want to fly If I want to fly Some might say, man
0: that was your last album for a little, for a little while um why did you guys split up
1: uh, pat wanted to concentrate on journalism okay so he there was a newspaper being there's a, there's a daily newspaper there's a big paper in scotland called the herald and they wanted to set up a broadsheet sunday herald newspaper so pat was the assistant editor when they set that up so he needed time to do that So I said, okay then, so uh, I went back and did production work and did some, I worked for a big radio station here as a sound engineer. And I worked with the Scottish National Jazz Orchestra as a touring sound engineer. I toured with some heavyweight jazz guys, uh, John Schofield and John Patitucci when they would come over. I was the tour manager, sound engineers. I kind of busied myself for three or four years and Pat set up this newspaper, which is still running now, that's nearly 30 years. So Pat set it up, worked on it for five years and made it what it is. The Sunday Herald is a big newspaper in Scotland now. So that's what he wanted to do. When we did finish Next Move, we did two albums for Lynn Records, which are a kind of high-end, hi-fi jazz record label. So we did jazz not jazz and then we did next move. Right. And then Pat and I, that's I mean, we we'd done a lot of records. We that was ten years, and we'd done three, four, five, six, seven, eight records in ten years. So he was like, nope. Let's let's just back off. Right. So it was pretty good. And then the thing is he didn't sing for four or five years. And when we go and do these festivals now with the likes of Nick Kershaw and Tony Hadley and Rick Ashley and uh, right. go west and all the guys, we do summer festivals. I mean, they can all sing, but they can't sing as well as Pat because he had those five years off. Yeah. Just when he when we'd worked hard for ten years. I said, no. And a lot of these bands kept going. So, you know, a lot of them, yeah, they're not as they don't have the stamina, or the power that Pat's got, and I think it's because he didn't sing those five years, and then when he came back, he 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 was fitter, stronger, and he wasn't tired. He was good. Yeah.
0: Now, we in the US kind of steal everything that's good overseas, whether it's like the Office TV show, and you guys had a show, uh, "Hit Me, Baby, One More Time," that that you guys mm-hmm. performed we we had that afterwards because naturally we stole it from you guys um and you performed great you know it was a
1: good format it was a a good format it was
0: good yeah absolutely so you know you guys did you know amazing cover of beyonce's crazy in love and not not to mention your own you know labor of love so how did you guys pick well two two two-part question pick that song crazy in love and was it an easy decision to perform on the show
2: So deep in your eyes I touch on you more, more every time When you leave, I beg on you not to go Call your name two or three times in a row Funny thing I me to try to explain. I feel that I'm a as a one to blame But I know I don't understand Just tired of us who no one else can Got me looking so crazy right now, you love Got me looking so crazy right now Got me looking so crazy right now, you love Got me looking so crazy right now They got me strong, I don't care who she's Baby, you got me, you got me
1: So that was in 2006. So as I said, Pat and I stopped making music in 97 and then he came back once to make more music in 2003. So we started doing gigs again, 2003, 2004, and the gigs were going really well. Pat was wanting to play again. We had a really good band that we put together. So it was really good fun. And then, as I said, in 2005, 2006, Pat was approached By the producers of this show Hit Me Baby one more time and said, we want to put together 80s acts and bring them on stage and they pick a contemporary song and they play their hit and then we pit them against each other every week in these heats and we all get to the final. So Pat found me and I said, what? No, I can't do Saturday Night TV, Pat. I'm I'm out of shape and I'm not really, you know, I'm not really thought about Saturday Night Pop TV. And he said, Greg, I want to do it because Pat's got an inner in early. He loves glitz, glamour, sequence, Saturday night. He's a front man. He loves it. Right, of course. Yeah. I mean, we did a gig at the weekend. He we gave a radio mic. He was running in amongst the crowd, getting them to sing and stuff. He absolutely loves it. So I said, Pat, you need to give me some time. He's like, yeah, get on the carrots and get on the cabbage, Greg. Shed the, the weight. And <laughs> you we're going on Saturday night TV. So that was 2006. So what? Well, I'm 40 in 2006, so I got back down to a 30 inch waist and stuff like that. I was, I was starving. I couldn't eat for months. Right. And then we were, a, a girlfriend of mine, when she used to come to our house, she used to put Crazy in Love on and she'd dance on the coffee table. We had a big square coffee table and she would dance. She was a good looking girl, Claire. So I remember when all the friends were and stuff like that, they just sit and watch her go, Jesus, okay. <laughs> and she was a good friend of mine. She's still a lovely girl, but She used that was her party piece, and um, she did look fabulous doing it, I must admit. And uh, Pat was there one night, and obviously, he was like, My god, trying to avert his gaze, going, This is a bit too sexy for somebody's flat. (laughs) But afterwards, she was hanging and she said, You guys should do that. And Pat's like, What crazy love? And I said, That's a great idea, Claire. And she said, Yeah, because she said, The verse reminds me of Labour Love because the speed of the lyrics. So we went away and we sat around the piano and we put it together and I did some research and found out it was by that song, Are You My Woman by the Shy or the She-Lights, whatever the Chicago kind of soul band is where the record comes from. So we found the record. So I made our version of Crazy and Love more kind of like the Shy I featured the loop a bit more. There's a, there's a kind of right ride symbol kind of funk groove um and uh, Beyonce kind of, that was there but it wasn't as featured as ours. And then um, we put it together and it really worked. And I remember playing it to uh, a few people when they were dancing around the room saying, God, that really works. And I think it was because Beyonce and what Beyonce was, and then Pat and Greg Kane from Fury Cry, Pat, 42 years old, me, 40 years old from Scotland. Why are they going to do this? But it was the the rhythm of the vocal and the verse that was so like Labour Love that people were used to Pat singing that way. It's like near like a rap, but it's just so fast. Right. and he had no problem singing it and it's a difficult song to sing crazy in love but um yes so it was incredibly successful um and we what happened was that the TV show's production team were all very young so we were talking to them a little about social media and about can we get some of the the data from the show so how many people voted for us where where they could you get any of that data and they did they were tracking it okay oh, so at the end of the show they gave us They said there was 170,000 people voted for you, and here's where they are. So we had this map of all these people, but this we didn't have their email addresses. We didn't have any way how to contact them, but we knew there was 170,000 of them that actually picked up the phone and went, cue and cry. So if they're actually going to do that, then they know they've got some commitment to you. Yeah. So we thought, right, after this TV show, we've got all this data. Let's go find them so we then set up our own social network this is all pre-facebook pre-youtube right. and we went to try and find them <clears throat> we went to old promoters that we we used to work with we went to venues and venues store this data um and we not all of them will give you the data or phone numbers and email addresses and stuff like that so we gathered as much data as we could and then either cold called or cold contacted them and said do you want to get involved in a human cry social network it's not going to cost you anything but you can come in so we built this walled garden in the internet called the Human and Cry music club with all this data we got from this show and we started to plan our gigs and our tours around where the concentration of people were i mean it was a lot of work no it wasn't it was i was thinking this is and that we made the album open soul that was the first record that we released with all this data and then it did really well for us. And there was some great songs on Open Soul. So that was released in uh, 2008, but the TV show was in 2006. Yeah. And we spent those two years finishing off the record and gathering all this data, but who likes you and cry. So it was that Saturday night TV show, it was, I mean, we made the most of it. We really did. I don't know how many other bands were doing that sort of uh, uh, liaison with the production team and trying to get as much data as we could. But they were amazing. The guys that made that show, they were so open for sharing stuff and helping out because they were young and they understood what we were trying to do and they got involved. So I think that that really um, was the foundation, another foundation that we laid for the next 20 years, you know, or the next 15 years since we did that. So very good. I must have am very proud of us for doing that.
0: Yeah, and you guys did that without like backing of a record company too, right? It was just you guys just doing it, doing all the legwork yourself. So, I mean, that's, that's, that's pretty amazing. I was in a
1: business, was in a business partner. There was a, there was a a music manager that I'd worked with with other bands. And we were going down to London for that TV show. I said to Dougie, I said, Doogie, can you come down and front us? you know, we'll give you 20%, you know, give you a standard management fee. And he said, of course, well, so he didn't really know Pat, and he knew of Hugh and Cry, obviously, but he knew me because I'd worked with him with lots of other bands, and production stuff. So Pat and him got on really well, and after we did so well on the show, and he saw we were trying to do all the data, he then said, right, I'm going to invest some money in this. So he said, and we'll work out a deal. So we became like a partnership. It was like a three-way split between the three of us, and he invested some capital, and that was the capital we used to kind of do all that work. Yeah. So, wow. And we did made the best, best use of it. And then the you know, the company was healthy enough to um, withstand two years of not working during the pandemic. So the company's done really well. So, I mean, that's... that's Yeah, I'm very proud of it. The last 15 years has been a long slog. It's been hard. It's hard to make new records. It's hard... You still get the disappointments of the records not being as successful as you hope. You still get um, the rush for the records doing well on some radio stations and you get a rush of doing the bigger gigs because people get more engaged with hearing cries. So there's still the, the the peaks and the troughs. Um, mm-hmm. but it's, yeah, it's been an amazing 15 years since all that happened.
0: Right. You know, I mentioned earlier about Pocket Full of Stone and that was a fantastic album. But like, and you mentioned disappointment record sales, but like what are the expectations going to be for your new album? I mean, is it just, just to get out there because you're creative, you have something to say? I mean, because now no one...
1: Well, there's friends of mine here in Glasgow. There's a band called Mogwai. Yeah. So I know Stuart quite well. And um, when they went to number one last year, the year before, I said to Stuart, I met him in the pub and I said, you know, Congratulations. Said, yeah, thanks very much. And I said, You don't mind me asking, how many records did you sell to get to number one? Yeah. And he said, 19,000. Wow. Like, sure. And he said, yeah. I know. I said, Labour Love sold 350,000 and it got <laughs> to number six. Yeah. I said, so, I mean, it's a completely different landscape. um That's one of the hard things about making music for me, who's, who's made music. I mean, I've got gold and platinum discs hanging up here in the wall all over there and you're looking at, you know, 300,000, 300,000, 100,000. Those numbers are not, that doesn't really matter. That doesn't happen yeah. anymore. So you're making records as a kind of promo card, as a calling card, as a as a a reason that you can go knocking on doors and saying, hey, do you want to play you and Cry? Why? They've got a new record out. Oh, let's hear it. So yeah. you still get that reaction. So it's, right. it's something that you have to do. But as you make more and more records, it gets harder and harder. For me, it gets harder and harder. Um, and a lot of the bands we play with, you know, the bands that we play with a lot, like the Christians and Go West and hmm. Nick Kershaw and you know these sort of Human League, right? And these sort of bands, you talk to them backstage and they say, oh, I can't be bothered making another record. I haven't got it in me, and they find it really, really difficult. But Pat and I have got our own studio here. We've never had any problems writing music you can put Pat and I any day in a room with a piano and a couple of hours later we will come out with a song for you whether it's good or bad or you like it or you don't there'll still be a song so we can always create like that it's the making the record that's hard because you know um, do you make it contemporary? do you try and make it contemporary? I mean these Elton John songs I don't know I see my 10 year old kid singing this Elton John song that doesn't have the chorus in it we know the song yeah, uh, Rocket Man, it's got a chorus right. and yeah. it never gets chorus. And I always sing Rocket Man and my daughter says, Dad, why are you singing that? So that's the <laughs> chorus. What's Rocket Man got to do with it? So but it's a bit of genius, these Elton John things. And I noticed some other act from that era has done it. Is it it's not Springsteen, it's somebody else that's done it. And it's nah, it it's hard. I mean, I'm I'm chuffed to bits. What a an amazing thing that the Elton John did with that record, but um you're listening to Dua Lipa and you're listening to um uh what's the girl's name who's the heavy set girl that's doing all the kind of 70s funk thing Jesso? is it Jesso? um there's some oh, great just don't yeah, yeah. yeah. no, not just there's there's a, there's a younger girl called Jess Jesso. Jesso, I think and there's lots of like funk stuff out there that the the kids are really checking out um so making new music as a band like Hugh and Cry, how how contemporary do you make it? This record that Pat's been leading the charge with is probably one of the most contemporary records we've ever made. Um that's what's make it really difficult for me to to make. But I've got there and it sounds really good. So yeah. and the Tears for Fears record came out and that last record that they made, and I was hoping it was going to be Tears for Fears that we remembered it to be, but it's not. It's, it's not. That's this kind of weird folk thing, you're thinking yeah. I can't remember Tears of Beers being Yeah, funky. Right. Um, so I don't really understand what, what they're doing. So this'll this'll be a bit of a shock for Hue and Cry fans. Um no songs under 123 beats per minute, and most of them are up 126, 127, which is Chicago House BPM. Hmm. So it's all up there and Pat's crooning. The one of the, the templates for me was uh, lazy by david burn i remember when lazy came out and i heard it on the radio and i thought that's a great groove um, and david burns an elder statesman of music yeah and he's that, and it's kind of working for me and it's working for everybody else so that was my template if i could put pat's voice on a contemporary backing track that not references but it looks at lazy and it says right that's where you have to be that's what we tried to do so it's quite exciting actually. We we managed to get there. And um we've as I say, we've written twenty, we've kind of managed to get eleven up to speed and then Pat's coming up next week for another five days and we'll get another three or four up to speed. So there'll be about 14, 15 songs that we've kind of realized. So yeah.
0: yeah it's good uh, yeah, that's great. And you mentioned two Shepherds. they're my all-time favorite band. So the album I, I enjoy it's it's totally different than what they last last put out, but you know. You want to have that, like in a band. You know, I don't want to hear like shout again. You know, just if you have something creative to say and it's it's different than what you've said before, yeah. by all means, you know. And like, you're not going to have record sales anyway, so you might as well just put out what you want to put. You know, that like that yeah, just,
1: that's an- that's another thing you don't have to. And then the thing is that the kind of weirder you make music because you think, well, nobody's buying it anyway; they're just going to stream it. Then it, yeah, let's take more risks. Yeah, but you've radio is still quite important to bands like us. So you okay. have to keep an eye on the big radio stations. Radio 2 is the big right. national radio station in the UK. You have to keep an eye on that and what they're doing. Um, and you can go as crazy as you want, I guess, to mm. a certain extent. But um, my job within Curing Tries is to try and rein in the craziness. Yeah, My brother can go way crazy if you want, but right. I've, I've got to try and rein it in.
0: Yeah. Like when you do like those eighty, you know, festivals, which I wish they would have here, because I mean, there's such. You should have for- them in America. I mean, they're even, be awesome.
1: I mean, there are no, there are. We started doing them about fifteen years ago, and nobody really knew what they were doing. People were dressing up and having fun and dressing right. up like a. Daiko and stuff like that. But it's kind of they've stopped doing that. they completely stopped doing it. But most of them have stopped doing it because they're just coming to have a great time. And the bands can all play. The production's massive. It's as big as Glastonbury, the production. Yeah. You walk on stage and these things, and there's 20,000 people in Clapham Common in, in, in London and England screaming, ain't going to work for you, you no know, more when you're playing Labour Love. It's yeah. amazing. Right. And the production's got so much. I remember Gary Newman cheekily said if, uh, a few years ago, I would never do one of these festivals. I'd rather eat worms. <laughs> and I, just being the curmudgeon that Gary Newman is. Right. You know, I'm a big fan of Gary Newman as well. But, yeah, uh, yeah. Um, they've all they've changed now so I mean it's, it's difficult to get on them now because a lot of the bigger acts are looking at them going right I can play in front of 20,000 people yeah. and, I, and it's I only have to pay for, play for 40 minutes and I can pretty much get the fee I would get if I was playing my own gigs yeah. and they do everything they look after me right. so I should I should really do this so a lot of the bigger acts are becoming are coming to these festivals now yeah. which can kind of jeopardizes our position in it but yeah Fingers crossed we've been booked to do another 13 next year. And okay. they're really they're really amazing. If you get the chance to come over for one... Yeah, I'd Let's, love to. The Let's Rock ones are only one day. But the Rewind festivals were... There's one that's in uh, Schoon Palace in Perth, which is a, a beautiful palace in the outskirts of... Um, it's north of Edinburgh, in a place called Perth in Scotland. It's phenomenal. I mean, this right. building is just... yeah whole scene and the whole backdrop is amazing um and you know yeah if you get the chance come to these 80s festivals but they should do them in america and i don't know why i mean they've got how many huge acts we got from america from the 80s yeah but they try, i think they tried it in canada and it didn't really work out i've heard the go west guys saying, saying that they went over them paul young tony hadley and i think uh ub 40 went over no, it didn't work as well. So I don't know. I don't know why it didn't work. I don't know if you guys know how to. I don't know if American listen. yeah, they do. The adult contemporary rock people love their old rock and their old pop in America. Yeah. So there's no
0: reason why they wouldn't go and see it. Yeah. Like the, the problem is, I think it would be all the bands from overseas, like the, who I would want to see that it would be just be too much of a cost for them to come over here and, and do those. You know, love yeah, to you, see, could, do, you love could, to you love could, see spin on ballet and like Nick and all those. I don't know if there's a big, big enough market for that or, you know, just a price, you know. For,
1: but you could do it with American acts though, to begin. Yeah, with no, I,
0: yeah I, it, I'm sure they, 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 they totally can. But I would, this is me personally, would love to see like the Rewind Festival, same acts just come over here. But I don't know if there's, you know, that much of a demand where you, you might get, you know, five to 7,000 people instead of 20,000 over here. Mm. I, don't
1: know. Uh, I think that it has to go to that scale in order to to make financial sense yeah because as i said the production's huge they spend yeah. a lot of production they don't skimp right. which it's quite a thing you know that you i mean it's not always been like that as i say it's taken 10 15 years to build it to this but every summer they're sold out quicker and quicker and they're moving to bigger and bigger sites so yeah. um, it's a routine for people now once the tickets go on sale they, they snap them up so the things like half, three quarters sold within the first few days of the thing that's going on sale. So it's now a sort of routine for everybody to look forward to it um, in, the, in the summer. And that's the mm-hmm. kind of crazy weekend of popping the kids off somewhere and then just grabbing the hand of their partner and off they go into a field with lots right. of drink, lots of 80s music, and they have a great yeah, time.
0: Absolutely. <laughs> now, now, do you guys kind of like negotiate how much time you have? Or is that like they say you're going to have 20 minutes?
1: Or can you push pushback? You, no. Uh, um There was one time we there was a band never made it and we got to play double, which was great. Okay. Um, so it things like that happen every now and again. But no, you get your allocated slot and you have to stick. You get they piss you get pissed off if you don't stick to your time. Right. So it, consummate professionals, no, we don't. We don't rip it. We just do what we're supposed to do. Do it yeah. as well as we right. can. Shake yeah. and fake afterwards. Do our best, don't make any fuss. Maybe do a gear back to me. It's all it's all like a big machine now. So you're just a you're just a bit of the machine. And right. if you don't do told when you're told you don't get asked to do it. Again. There's, yeah. there's lots of very well behaved 80s pop stars. I could, I could add could right. that.
0: Yeah. yeah. So yeah, so you're pretty much like stuck to playing like Labor Love, Looking for Linda, like violent, you know, violently, right? Those are the songs. You can't sneak a new one in because they'll revolt. Very interestingly,
1: um we were doing one in a beautiful uh, place in Essex, Audley Hall, I think it was called. And we were doing it with Simple Minds and Big Country. There's only three of us on at this festival. And the place was mobbed. And Pat and I had our slot. We were on our own this time. So there was only it was about ten to 15,000 people. And Pat and I walked on on our own, just piano and voice. And he was a bit nervous about it. I says, don't worry, Pat. It'll be fine. I said, but. Can we do man with the child in his eyes? Said, what in front of all these people? I says yeah because the stranger things has happened with uh, running up that hill. Yeah, so check for it. So he was a bit pushed. We pushed back a wee bit, and I says no. And he sat and sang it in the dressing room with me, and he says right, okay, I feel comfortable about singing this. Right, let's do it. So third song in, the audience were kind of there was a maybe about yeah there was about nearly ten thousand by the time when we went on. And they are kind of getting in the seats and they are kind of enjoying. We did Looking for Linda and we did uh, Ordinary Angel. And then Pat introduced The Man with the Child in His Eyes. So I played this little tiny E minor arpeggio thing. It's so dainty. And the play hushed. And Pat came in. We did the first verse. Came through the first chorus. And then there's a bit of a hold after the first chorus. You couldn't hear anything. There's 10,000 people. And outside. And I thought, oh, shit, we've got them. And Pat realised it as well. And he looked at me, and we did the second verse, the second course and we finished it, and the place went nuts. Mm-hmm. And I thought, God, I haven't felt that for a long, long time, where you can put ten thousand people in the palm of your hand. Right. So you know, yes, we play all the hits that everybody knows, but when you throw in a curveball like that, and we hadn't played it for a long time, but it's because of this Stranger Things that uh, the Kate Bush had the success. I thought it'd be quite relevant, and it was a magical moment. You know, what an incredible yeah. moment to do that. And then we played violently in Labour Love and blah, blah, blah. And they all went crazy. And we, we, we went down really well. And it was uh, Jim Care and Charlie were side of the stage when we did Man and the Children's Eye. And we come off and he's like, man. I says, I know. How weird was that? <laughs> so he kind of came up to hear it. So he, heard, he said he heard the opening bit of it. And he ran up just to watch us. Because it's quite a short song, the way we do it. So yeah, that was good. I
0: enjoyed that. Yeah, that's awesome. Now, do you remember where you were the first time you heard one of your songs on the radio?
1: Uh, I was on a, I was in a van. We were going down to London to do some promo in the summer of '87, and the band and Pat lived. Pat's lived in London through all this, so he was down there. So I was in a van with the two manager, Roddy, and my whole band, and we're listening to Radio One, and it came on in the van. And this was the band that played the song. So we turned it all up. That was an amazing experience. Um, so I was so lucky and glad that I was with the band that played it the first time I'd heard it. I think some of them had heard it before, but I hadn't heard it. So to hear it in the van radio driving down was quite amazing, actually. It was a good tonic for the nine hour drive it took to get there.
0: Right. Now, what about like the most like interesting place or like the w- the weirdest place you heard one of your songs? The weirdest
1: place I've ever heard of one of my songs. Um, <laughs> there was a, a launch for Aston Martin so Lynn Hi-Fi who are the record label we did the two jazz albums for they had Lynn Hi-Fis and Aston Martins and they were launching this car and it was in a huge big house and the Aston Martin was driving down the driveway and the triggers there was like flames going up every time it hit these triggers and it was one of our songs and I was there uh, working on the audio because I'm, I'm an audio engineer so the guy that ran Lynn Ricker says can you come and help me with this? I don't want anything to go wrong. So I was there as a kind of engineering capacity but I didn't know they were going to play one of our songs. I, th- I didn't know what they were going to do but they played um, Iron Cage from Jazz Not Jazz which is one of my favourite songs. That was very weird. Yeah. I'm watching Martin's driving down to this jazz song and flames going up.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Were you surprised? Yes. Yeah, that's surprised to have one of your songs in a video game? At Grand Theft Auto? <laughs>
1: Grand Theft Auto, yes. Uh they contacted us. Yeah. Um I know. That was my stepsons uh came running down the stairs one time and said, I just heard one of your songs and Grand Theft Auto says, Oh yeah, yeah, we did the deal. So I'd forgotten yeah. to tell you we've done the deal. I didn't my manager just phoned me and said right. they want to so I, they want to include it, and the you fine with that? So said, yeah, we were fine. That didn't really, that's fine. Yeah. But it wasn't that my stepson can running you know. get your music on my game. So, okay. Yeah. Gave me some kudos with him for about two days.
0: Oh, that's cool, yeah. I, I guess you'll take what you can get, right? <laughs> when it comes to stepson's, I'll take everything I can get. I, I bet, yeah. yeah. I am
1: not your father. I am
0: not your father. Yeah, just keep playing <laughs> video games. <laughs> Yeah. well, yeah. oh,
1: they, they do work hard, so I can't be too harsh on them in case yeah. they see
0: that. Right. That's good. But, Greg, I, I really appreciate your time today. This was great. Uh, good luck with the album. I can't wait to hear it whenever it does come out.
1: I think you'll enjoy it, Noel. And I hope I've covered everything that you wanted.
0: And a special thanks to Greg for joining me today. Check out all their music, it's on the streaming sites. And you can follow them on Twitter at You Cry. Their website is uncry.co.uk. And if you have a guest suggestion, you can hit me up on Twitter at the First and All One nine or like the page, Living My Youth. You can go to iTunes, check out all the past episodes we've had. While you're there, please rate and review the show. If you don't have iTunes? Not a problem. The show can be found on SoundCloud, Spotify, Podbean, Amazon Music, basically wherever you can find a podcast. A new episode comes out every week. Stay safe, everybody. We'll see you then.